So you had a, a pre-show thing you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I just need to ask you a question. Oh, I'm I'm scared. So I started ordering pizza from this restaurant near me, and I or I love their their toasted raviolis, and I like their pizza, and I decided to get like side salads with my pizza, and you know, I ordered a salad that a gar I ordered a garden salad with buffalo chicken as you know my preparing for my lunch for today because I was not in the mindset to cook for the next 24 hours. So I bought that and it comes to me. And this has happened before with their garden salads, but this one has buffalo chicken in it. It had fruit in it. It had in the corner as a garnish a large slice of cantaloupe a slice of pineapple and a strawberry packaged the the strawberry makes sense okay the pineapple and the cantaloupe the yeah that's that's in a garden salad that makes no sense i'm curious with with buffalo chicken fried buffalo chicken tenders on top i could definitely see the pineapple and the buffalo chicken being a good combo eh, but and blue cheese dressing so blue cheese is going to totally overpower the cantaloupe. I don't think you're expected to eat them in that, but I have gotten their side garden salad before, and every every garden salad that they send to us comes with cantaloupe, pineapple, and a strawberry in like like in, on the salad on the salad like on the salad. Okay, does the dressing come in the little dressing side container, or does the dressing come it on the salad? It does come in a side container. Okay, it does. so at least they're not dumping blue cheese onto a piece no. of pineapple that's in your salad. That's that's, that's good. correct. Because yeah. then everything's gonna get soggy, and that's that's no good. But yeah, that is. I mean, is it is it good? Have you tried eating the fruit mixed in with the salad? No. Why not? I'm not psychotic. I mean, if this is a thing they do every time, this is clearly the way it comes, maybe you should give it a try. I think you should give it a try and report back. Okay, but the thing is, the cantaloupe has a rind, and so does the pineapple. Well, you, so you it's, not like, it's not like cubed cantaloupe where you would like have it in a fruit salad. So it's like sliced? Like, you would have to remove the rind. Why not just eat the rind? What? Don't call it rind. Who's out here eating cantaloupe rind? No, 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 cantaloupe rind. zest. And also... How do you eat pineapple rind? Like it's 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 spiky. Carefully. Well, how big is the piece of pineapple with the rind it's, on it? It's it's like it's a decent size. Oh, so like it could have like it the cross section could be a spike. It it is it it's it's got like three spikes. It's a decent sized piece of pineapple. I was imagining more slices of pineapple because if it's you know no. a slice of pineapple, it's mostly. Mostly the meat of the fruit, and then just that little sliver of rind on the outside. Not really, no. Oh, yeah, that's that's going to be more difficult. Well, maybe, yeah. okay, with the pineapple, I mean, do they include forks and knives? You could just cut it off. I just, that seems like a lot of work for a garden salad. It's right, like, there's a red onion right on it. What's going on? Also, I find it hard to believe that a New England restaurant has those growing in their garden. If you're going for a garden salad. I mean, you can grow cantaloupe almost anywhere. It's it's not a picky fruit. Can you? Yeah. Pineapple oh. is a bit pickier. Um, you can do it. 
Don't tell my husband that because he's going to, he's, oh, we might need to cut this part because he's going to try and grow a cantaloupe in our apartment. Didn't you grow lemons in your apartment? Yes, we are actively growing lemons. My lemon tree, Liz Lemon. If you can grow lemons, you can grow, you can grow pineapple and cantaloupe. That's, I'm just going to say that. My lemon tree, Liz Lemon, currently has six lemons almost ready. I think they're like, I think by Christmas, they'll be good to go then i i don't see the problem here i do see a great problem with this whole story as you have presented it and that is the fact that you said that you order raviolis when ravioli is already plural water earth fire air long ago the four nations lived together in harmony then Everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Hello, and welcome to The Pie Show with your hosts, I'm Colton. And I'm Kelly. And this week, we are talking about Book 1, Chapter 18, The Waterbending Master. Yes! Oh my god, we're so far into Book 1! We finally <laughs> made it to the Northern Water Tribe! <sighs> In this episode, <laughs> after going to the home of the Northern Water Tribe, yeah, yeah, we made it, Aang and Katara search for a water-bending master, and Sokka becomes smitten with a princess. Oh, I just love it so much. It's so cute. Oh, my goodness. I'm really excited for this episode. I just want to preface everything with that, that we've gotten this far, and this is one of my favorite episodes. And Colton, I want to let you in on something. I finally did it. And I created my Kelly's Indefinitive Rewatch Avatar list. Woohoo! I have not finished mine yet. I'm still working on it. <laughs> I'm really glad that we decided to talk about this after the finale because yep. I'm going to need that extra time. <laughs> I made my first. I I made my first run through, and I think I feel good about book one so far. Um, I mean, now that we're towards the end of it, um, and it'll be interesting to see where I land with the other two after those two seasons, but I'm excited and I was really happy to add Blue Spirit to my list, especially because my indefinitive rewatch list is 30 episodes long. Wait, you, you made a list for the whole show. You finished your list for the whole show. Yes. You overachiever. I'm sitting here struggling to make my <laughs> list for book one. You finished the whole show. Well, like you said, I have a lot more experience with this. And I decided to, I literally looked through and I was like, all right, what are the ones that I gravitate towards? And what are the ones that I, when I decide to go and do a rewatch, what do I watch and what do I skip? And so I started doing that. And I even did, um, I even added one or two in red of like ones that like, 50% of the time I I tend to watch. So your rewatch list, 30 episodes, that's half the show. Yeah, I cut it in half. Hmm. 
I don't know if that is like I don't know if my reaction to that is you cut a lot. Wow. <laughs> What's left? <laughs> or if my reaction to that is oh so many. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't know my reaction yet either, but I'll be interested to see what your reaction is when we share it at the end of I'll share just season one at the end of season one. Yeah, I think that's that's a, probably a good way to do it. And we'll we'll go season by season. Yeah. And then maybe when we finish the I'm show, we can, we can talk about like the rewatch of the series list. Oh, yeah. Like macro yeah. level. But I now have a list. So what I'm talking about my list, I'm not pulling just like out of thin air. I'm pulling from an actual list that I sat down and made that out of thin air <laughs> and thought. But you wrote it down. <laughs> but I wrote it down and that's what counts. So. Anyway, this one's on it. <laughs> Waterbending Master's on it. <laughs> One of my faves. Glad we made it through that segue. <laughs> we got this. This is a good episode. Yes. I really like the yes, opening of this episode. The recap? All of it. Like, everything from the the recap, the, the first couple of scenes getting, like, actually physically getting that last bit to the Northern Water Tribe, mm-hmm. and then... The reveal of the Northern Water Tribe when we're there, like that whole opening sequence, what I'm going to assume, because it's difficult to know for sure watching on Netflix, everything before the first commercial break, I would guess. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think this episode is really high key energy the whole episode for me. And I feel that because we've also been building towards the Northern Water Tribe this whole season. So anything less than fantastical, throw everything at you, is kind of a letdown. So to see them come in with some strong punches, and even I want to talk about this recap for a second too, because we get um, talking about the great benders of the water of the water tribe and we hone in on how Zhao is the big villain and how he's the one that we need to be a little bit more concerned about with. And we also even bring up the reveal of Zuko as the blue spirit just in the recap. And you're like, how are you going to move all of these into this one episode? How are all of those um, ships just going to like converge on this point? And they do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The the things that really stuck out to me with the recap, like you said, are just the the way that these two characters, Katara and Zuko, are framed. Because mm-hmm. we talk about the great bender, the great water benders, but the scene that they use when, when Katara is using is discovering her healing powers and, and Zhang Zhang is the one talking about water healing. That's not some, you know, ideological water bender out there. That's Katara as a great bender, reminding us that she has this power that is fantastic, that is above the rest. And then going back to that, that blue spirit reveal, I was looking for it in this recap. And if this was the first episode of Avatar that you ever watched, you would not assume that Zuko is the villain of the show. Mm-mm. At no point in the recap is Zuko 
vilified at all. He is presented mm. as purely empathetic towards the Avatar. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't got that. Yeah. Zhao is represented as this is the guy we got to watch out for. Zuko kind of almost looks like he's out to help Aang. Mm, yeah, that's a weird way to, yeah, that he's put in that light. If you if you were coming into this episode cold, I think you would assume that Zuko was there chasing after Aang to help him to protect him from Zhao. Yeah, that he's, that he, it's a race against the clock. It's a race against Zhao to see who gets there first, but not to... Not to harm him the way that Zhao wants to. Yeah. I, w- I would get that feeling, too. If this was the first episode I watched, I would get that feeling as well. And I think it's just, you know, it's really nice that, you know, we talk about all of these things, you know, these running themes in in our analysis of the show that that our antagonist isn't our villain, that it's Katara's story. And it's really, really nice when we get a moment like this that sort of highlights that and pats us on the back and says like yeah maybe you're on to something good watcher (laughs) (laughs) that is what we were going for i another thing i really love about this intro to the northern water tribe is we get this like really interesting map shot from uh from Zhao and his uh, his war room and how he's like, all right, I guess he's going this way to go for a go for a master. It all kind of makes sense. We're trying to figure this out. And they talk about how the water the northern water tribe is such a threat, and they do this build up, and you you hear about it before you see it, and then they transition into seeing the opening of the gates of the northern water tribe, and I just. What did you think of this setup? Like upon first watch and upon and upon your rewatch now? Oh, my mind was blown. Seeing a society that like steam power is not a thing, but they have fully functional canals (laughs) and and hydro elevators. Yes, the elevators. It is amazing. It is so cool. And like. The physics is accurately represented. (laughs) All the different levees and everything. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy looking at the way that all of these different societies that have survived a hundred years of war have Mm -hmm. done so. And the thought that has gone into it. You have the Earth Kingdom that basically made it through, it seems, by being just much bigger than anywhere else. (laughs) You have the Southern Water Tribe who made it through because they were so insignificant no one cared did they even really make it through i don't think they uh, yeah i don't think they made it through because they annihilated most of the waterbenders down there yeah so and they seem very um they don't have as much they don't really have technology they don't really have anything kind of innovative there they're just kind of scraping by small small villages scraping by yeah yeah Totally fair assessment. Um, the air nomads didn't make it, so didn't make it. how how are we going to justify the northern water tribe making it through this mm-hmm. long drawn out war? Well, the terrain is naturally advantageous to them. Mm-hmm. Bunch of icebergs makes for easy guerrilla warfare if you know you live up there, mm-hmm. and they're physically isolated, and they're not just physically isolated in the North Pole. 
within the North Pole, they are isolated in this elevated city that's difficult to get to, that's surrounded by the element and made of the element that most of the city probably can control. And they seem to have a strong, uh, strong source of vendors, whereas, you know, the Southern Water Tribe doesn't, they've got Katara. Yeah. That's what they've got. The Northern Water Tribe, you have all these various ships of vendors and vendors working together to keep these canals working, to keep um, these gates working. So you've got some kind of military that is holding it together. We haven't really seen that from the Southern Water Tribe. We know that Sok and Katara's father and uh, Bato are part of the, you know, warriors of the Southern Water Tribe. But the Northern Water Tribe has really got it together in our eyes. They've got every, you know, they've got the ships. They've got people who know what they're doing. Yeah, I, I don't think outside of the Fire Nation and the Fire Nation army which is the majority of the Fire Nation that we've seen. I don't think mm-hmm. we've seen this high a concentration of vendors since Omashu, maybe. Yeah. And they've got they've got a navy. It looks like they've got like a set navy. Yeah. And a city defense force and and mm-hmm. engineers and artists and performers. Like it just goes on and on. And they've got, you know, we come to learn they have a training system in both uh, fighting and in healing so that they've got they've got vendors studying specific skills for the protection and preservation of their culture and of the of of the northern water tribe. Yes, yes. So I want to tell you a little bit about what I felt when everything opened up and we see this lovely montage of looking through the city and just and being wrapped in it, I automatically felt Star Wars. I'm sorry, what? It, it felt so much like Star Wars to me. I'm going to need you to explain this a bit more because I, I did not get that at all. And oh, I'm having trouble. I did. It was, it was, it was watching, you know, it was, it was like meeting the rebel army for the first time. Ooh, okay. That is what I felt when we, when we got in there and they opened the gates and these kids who feel they've been fighting this war themselves, just this isolated little group step in and they're these big white walls and there are all these people who are working to fight like working to fight as well and protect themselves and they are not alone in the universe and the sweeping music so like episode four we're off the death star the falcon lands on yavin and we see the big hangar and all the ships and leia's getting the hugs and they're there yes oh oh okay i like that yes that is what I felt, especially with the sweeping music. And even when Sokka is like runs down the tail of Appa and sees the girl passing by, mm-hmm. I just, oh, it just felt very Star Wars to me. I think, I, I, I honestly think, and I want to call back to an earlier conversation we had, I think that's the hope punk element to this. Yeah, maybe it's that. That, that idea it, of, you know, we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. We can all get through on each other's hope. Yeah. And it's funny. It felt it felt very like landing 
in an alien world as well, because this is very different from it's kind of mashing together the uh, the system, male system of Omashu with the with the ice uh the ice that Sokka and Katara are used to and p- blending that together and it just comes out as this like alien world where people are all dressed very differently and right as we open the gates i think another important thing is right as we open the gates and get in there we see a bunch of different ant- creatures that we've never seen before we see costumes and dress that we've never seen before hairstyles we've never seen before art that we've never seen before so maybe that's where i got the star wars vibe before is you know even walking into walking into the bar and seeing all the different all the different kinds of aliens around you and feeling off kilter like you know yeah i'm somewhere else this is this is not what i'm used to yeah ooh i thought it was really cool <laughs> You make me want to go watch the episode now and look for Star Wars. I feel like every episode I say something and you're like, I need to watch it again. Because <laughs> you see so many things that I don't. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's really awesome. Yeah, I thought you'd I, appreciate that. I spent that, that whole sequence just thinking, oh, wow, this is so cool. Like, I love this city. It looks like Venice, but snow. It just felt so cinematic, especially I really love... I really love Sokka just running down running down Appa's tail and like looking and then the like camera like zooms in on him he's like yeah she is like when they're like how beautiful it is it's so cinematic that's interesting that you said that because I didn't take the note on it but I do remember thinking we are spending more time establishing this city and this location than we normally do Mm -hmm. like on a lot of the other episodes when we get to somewhere new we get that one wide shot of the town or the village or, you know, wherever we are, the, mm-hmm. the temple with nuns and yep. <laughs> that's it. And things happen yeah. there, but we only get the one like, here we are. And when we get to the, when we get to the Northern Water Tribe, we get that montage of sailing around the city. I feel that it's not just saying this is the new, they're establishing a vibe. Yeah. That's that's what I feel is going on. That you know, it's not just here is where we're going to be for a while. It's here is what we want you to feel. This is a new world we are bringing you to, and we want you to get every single one of your senses involved in this in this world. I think it also it wants you to care for this world. This is a very different alien place, but we want you to care for it deeply so we could try and hurt it later but but they want you to care and so they want to take you through the streets of the city and have you see different people and i don't know if you notice at various points in this episode they have we see older people we see children and we and, and we have children laughing and we see plenty of you know people fighting but we see people having enjoying a meal together and just doing everyday things and you get a sense of people a lot more than you have because these kids have been alone through this through this trip except you know for the most part yeah i don't think we've had that since kiyoshi island mhm like just everyday life yeah everyday life is occurring around them this whole time maybe a bit with the marketplace when we meet the pirates but even that was you know that was a bustling trade hub that's not everyday life that's somewhere people go but also this might be the first place 
where they can feel safe for a bit. This is, mm. this is a haven. They have finally reached their destination. They don't need to worry about anything else. They don't need to, you know, be sleeping on the sleeping bags right next to Appa, ready to fly out at any second. This is the first place where they can rest their heads and get some get some work in. I mean, even when Aang is offered, you know, to start training to be a waterbender, he's like, can I take a few days to relax? And I get it. Like, I, I, I get that. He's been running since he woke up out of an iceberg. Yeah. And he was running when he went into the iceberg. Exactly. So this is their first safe place. And they want, I think, the object of that opening sequence is to create that haven for our characters. The girls in the city, they look so pretty. I want to go back to Sokka first seeing Princess Yue. So we come out of uh, this montage and we end with Sokka glancing at this girl passing by who we learn is later as Princess Yue. But I just want to point out, so when he says, yeah, she is, it transitions out from Sokka to a shot of the moon playing over the moon, just beaming over Iroh playing with his band on the ship. I don't know how I missed that that moon reference. I had to stop. (laughs) (laughs) I had to stop. (laughs) I don't know how I missed that moon reference. I I, oh. I did have someone else I did have someone else with me watching and that was they caught that. I will credit to my husband for that of going, "Hey, did you catch that moonshot?" and I said, "What moonshot?" and he goes, "Oh." And he goes back and he goes back to Sokka on the back of the tail and going, "Yeah, she is." And as he's floating away, all of a sudden it just slides into the moon and comes down to Iroh playing with his band. Jack making me emo. Oh man. So <laughs> check one for moon. <laughs> he loves that moon. <laughs> We're gonna have a lot of UA and the moon. <laughs> um yeah, that's why this is a rewatch podcast because we can point out all these things that we didn't notice because I'm gonna be honest. I never caught that in all of my rewatches. I never caught that. I just realized Sokka is fester. Yes, Sokka is fester. <laughs> he loves that moon. Family musical. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah. But, oh, so that is the first transition of a Sokka UA moment going into the moon and the music. Would you like to speak about the music? I'll point out all the moon references if you will point out the lovely music reference. That I got. (laughs) This song. I don't even know what to think about this song. The song is entitled Four Seasons, by the way. Yeah, and it talks about, you know, winter, spring, summer, and fall. And how they're all great for love. And I just, so, it's it's got a really cool uh, primary motif. We use it for Mm -hmm. our transition music. Yeah. (laughs) Originally, I was very conscious in you know putting the music in the episodes of using that transition music for segments where we talked more about plot elements and world building and stuff like that, and, and not so much with character moments. I don't really do that as much 
anymore. I have some other thoughts going into the way that I structure music in our show. But Mm -hmm. I think I've always associated Four Seasons with, I've lumped it in because Iroh sings it with Iroh's philosophy that you have to take wisdom from all four elements, from all four Mm -hmm. styles of bending, from all four, broadly speaking, nations of the world, even though there are kind of more than four nations of the world in this world. And I think in this episode, it really is, it's primarily used to, to highlight Sokka and Yue coming together. Yeah. And it's it's not quite a love theme, but it's like halfway a love theme. So I see they talk about four four loves, four seasons, four love, um, because it's you know four loves, um, as in the number four first. Yeah, four seasons and four loves. Um, and I think for me, what this song says, especially in regards to Yue and Sokka, because it is the instrumental that's played for almost their entire relationship uh, is and significant moments in their relationship is the passing of time and the change that occurs. Mm. I think that's what it really starts to signify and even symbolize is um, that, you know, things come and things go, but, you know, things can still that love can still keep going. That's interesting, because I always read it as more of about, like, the undercurrent natural order of things, and that, you know, you have four seasons that exist in in love and harmony, and those seasons are mirrored in the elements in the societies of the world, and that is, like, that is the natural way, that is the status quo, that is on a like really high level like that is morally what should be in this world and i think then that when you apply that to Sokka and Yue's relationship it it suggests that you know their love is their love is right their love is mm. almost destined maybe not destined but like the natural order of things so what's interesting is i read it very differently yeah you do i read it as in their love will come to an end for every every season um every time has its every season has its time uh i think for me what i draw from it is if i were to pick a real world equivalence to the song four seasons I would pick uh, Autumn Leaves. Have you heard that song? I don't think so. Uh, It talks about, you know, the autumn leaves drift by the window. uh, The autumn leaves, um, red and gold. And it talks about, it's a summer love. And it's like, since you went away, the days grow long. And then I hear old winter song. And about how leaving love behind. And... I think I had to memorize it for a French class. So I have it memorized in French and English. Um, <laughs> but it is, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful, haunting song. And that's what I find about Four Seasons is it's beautiful and haunting. So for me, the, the instrumental theme to it, it's, it's kind of sad. I, and I've 
felt that way for a bit. <laughs> it's not just, I'm thinking about it more and finally putting words to it, but it feels doomed. To me, that's that's how this song comes across. It comes across in that um, really sad, longing type of thing. And it doesn't appear happy. It doesn't give me the same feeling that Avatar's Love does. Hmm. In what way? It doesn't. It doesn't. Avatar's Love, I feel light. I feel hopeful. I feel, you know, um, bright. But Four Seasons, it, uh, the way I get, ding, 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 it brings me down. Like, it brings me up. It gives me that little bit of hope. And then it brings me softly down. And I feel like it's trying to gently let me down. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not full sadness it's just like melancholic melancholic yes yes and i think you very much need to listen to the song autumn leaves whether in english or in french um my favorite is edith piaf's version which is a little bit of both and uh, it's very uh you know the hands i used to hold um and it just ah it it tugs at your heartstrings a little so i see Sokka's hopeful face and I see Yue bashfully looking away and I'm like oh no this is oh no oh no he's someone's getting hurt and I think it's both of them and I never could have predicted what it is that breaks up their relationship but I knew from this music it's something out of their control Mm. yeah my take is completely different (laughs) I know. I like. I, I know, like your comparing it to, so to other music. Uh, if I yeah, if what I would may. you say a modern day equivalent? So I don't have a you. modern day equivalent, but the more you spoke, the more my own connection cemented itself in my mind. Um, okay. That like I, that sounded horrible, but if you allow me to explain, no, um, you're good. So I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan, and he, I'm mm. about to bring in like I feel like this show is a whole lot of you trying to talk about your experiences of Avatar and me. It, comparing avatar to other <laughs> other <laughs> mythologies but i'm gonna bring something else in so in lord of the rings the whole that whole universe is created in the text out of music mm-hmm. and the entire history of the universe is told through the song of the gods basically and all of the all of the events that happen all of the it's all there in the melody, in the song of creation. Um, all of the mm-hmm. evil in the world is represented in that music as discordant and like its own counter melody and a twisted mm-hmm. version of the main themes. But and and all the different aspects of the world and the great heroes, they all have their own ideas. And so much has been written about the way that Tolkien wrote about this music, and also. Later on, the way that Howard Shore incorporated those ideas into his score for The Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, Johann Demai also took a stab at it earlier and wrote a, a concert symphony on it, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> and so I, I feel like a lot of times when, when I'm watching different forms of you know, movies and television, I'm trying to keep an ear on the music because number one, there's that I I'm carrying that idea with me 
that music is sort of the undercurrent, but also from my background in theater and growing up as fans of, of different forms of media that treat music as the backbone of the story. Um, mentioned I'm a big Star Wars fan. It does the exact same thing. The, the, the overarching wisdom is like the music doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. No, no matter what the characters are saying or feeling, the music tells you what's really going on. Yeah. And when you combine that with this, you know, Tolkien-esque idea of the music is not just saying what's going on for the audience's sake, but the music is the reality, mm-hmm. is what makes up the world. I have to look at, like, four seasons is what this world is. Like, it's what this world should be. It is this unity and this harmony amongst all of these different outlooks and viewpoints and groups and elements and people. Like, it's all the same thing. It's mm-hmm. all one big, it's all one big mass that is split into four parts of the same whole. And Like the Avatar. The Avatar is the culmination of four parts. Exactly. In one. Exactly. The mm-hmm. Avatar is all, it, it's, it's all like four into one is like the big thing. Four is the most sacred number. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. In this in this world, in this reality, in this yeah, world, four yeah. is the most sacred number. And four parts coming together to make the whole is like, that is capital G good. I just had a realization. And what did you realize? Four is the sacred number. Four is what makes the Avatar a whole uh, team Avatar. You get a fourth member and you don't get the last one till the end. And the fifth represents spirit. Yeah. 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 I just got. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I love that this small song you and I can have completely different takes on. And blow each other's mind with it. It's going to make me listen. How about this? I I am going to listen to uh, some music from Lord of the Rings to as, as, as part of yours. And you got to listen to Autumn Leaves. Oh, yeah. And we'll put it all in the show notes. <laughs> it has that do 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 Yeah. Continuing with that, I, I think it's really interesting that we we have this song that Iroh sings that becomes emblematic of the love of these two characters. But Iroh doesn't get to finish the song. He's interrupted. He's in- there is one more time that this song is played. Besides UA, UA and Sokka transitions and him on the him with the crew. Well, when he's singing with the crew, Zhao walks in. Yeah. And the music has to take a backseat to Zhao. And Zhao's pursuing the war and pursuing the hunting down the avatar. Mm. And breaking the balance. Breaking this music. There is one more time where this is played. Do you want to know what it is or do you want me to bring it up? when it comes up again. Tell me when it is. I don't know if I'll keep it in the final show, though. So 
I don't know if you picked up on this, Colton, but I actually really love Princess Yue. Uh, I, I, I did pick up on this through the the show note document and our conversation thus far, and I kind of would have guessed based on your love of Sokka. Based on my love of Sokka, I, yeah, that is true, yeah. But I actually, I really like UA, and it's, uh, let's let's talk about UA. We got some Tell me your thoughts on UA, please. Go off about UA. So, we got new characters, and I'll talk about UA, which is just really interesting. I, first of all, I love, I love her look. I love all the hair loopies. I... (laughs) I'm about this white hair look. Like, honestly, if hairdressers did not open any time, like, during quarantine, and I I don't trust myself with, you know, chemicals, um, I would have looked like UA. Daenerys Targaryen <laughs> Homest? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm digging her vibe. I uh, love that even as a princess, she seems really relatable. Uh, she carries herself very, very strong. But when we talk to her and when um, she's doing things, she seems very down to earth and not high maintenance, which is pretty cool for a princess. Also, we're introducing, you know, this is a princess. We've kind of, we've had King Boomy is our, is King Boomy and... Fire Lord Ozai are kind of, and Prince Zuko are like our touchstones of royalty. And so those are on two very different sides of the spectrum there, but both crazy. <laughs> so nice to get someone who seems a little more, you know, in the real world. Even Keel. Yeah, yeah. And she, uh, this, this world of the Northern Water Tribe is really interesting. And I think it's interesting through Princess Yue where they talk about, they introduce her and the first thing they like really say about her is she's 16. She's of marrying age. And I went, what? Yeah, that didn't age well. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. I, it wasn't okay it then. It wasn't supposed to be. It, right. Yeah. It wasn't supposed the thing to is, be. It's not supposed to be. Everyone, like our characters that we've been with, also might think that's weird. Yeah, but my my point was more that it is, I think it is more unacceptable now than it even was at air date. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, uh, it's really, it's a really interesting kind of, they've got this little bit of foreshadowing, that first mention there, it's foreshadowing for what's going on with her as to why she's being all skittish with Sokka. And it also... Does some a little bit of foreshadowing for um, how Katara is going to feel in this Northern Water Tribe, whether she's going to feel accepted or whether she's going to feel like maybe this place has a little bit too much patriarchy in the water supply. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. and it's just a hint of it. It's just like it's just a hint of it. They say that, and then they get on with like the display of water bending and everything and they just kind of tuck that away it's in the back of your mind um but yeah that's what i want to say about princess ua for now i really enjoy her uh and the lightheartedness she can bring and i'm going to talk about her when we get to know her a bit more in the next two episodes 
I really like her as well. I don't think I like yeah. her quite as much as you do, but I really like her. I think she's a great first girlfriend for Sokka. Yeah, I think she's who he needs right now. Yeah. She makes him feel welcome. She makes him feel, uh, you know, he, she doesn't, she doesn't laugh at him. She laughs with him. She laughs with him. And that's really sweet. She's very sweet and caring. I think, I think it's fair to say that Sokka is supposed to be, to a degree, like the, the audience touchstone on mm-hmm. Team Avatar. Yeah. But in the world of Avatar, Sokka is maybe a little strange. Yes. When, when, like, when he's interfacing with Team Avatar, he's very much audience surrogate, like, our reactions. Yeah. But when he's interfacing with society... Society is kind of like, hey, buddy, chill. You're not a bender. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? And I think it's, I think it's really cool that, you know, UA doesn't do that. Maybe she's a little weird, too. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh. And she doesn't show it as much because, you know, she's got that royal face mask on. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think UA is. A really interesting character. Oh, I was going to say, she also, she's so caring. And I feel like until I saw Sokka really, like, interacting with Yue, like, at the dinner, I didn't realize how lonely he might be. Like, he is kind of the outsider a bit with, you know, he he's not a bender on the team. And Katara and Aang are so close. It wasn't until like I saw him trying to interact and connect with another person on a deeper level that I said, "Oh wow, you might have some like real loneliness going on." And even the even when he was in the Southern Water Tribe, he was the only boy his age. The only other person close to his age was Katara. He's never had anybody. Yeah. He's never had anyone his age he can relate to. And even when he's been traveling, they haven't been staying for that very long. So he can't make a connection. And this in this haven is one of the first places where he feels he can make a connection. Yeah, wow. That's, that hits different. <laughs> it's just, I didn't realize how I felt loneliness just coming off of him. Yeah. I bet you I did too. And I think she had that feeling too, which is why they were kind of drawn together. Paku? Paku. Master Paku. Do you think Paku and Zhang Zhang would be friends? Oh my god. Yes. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. They've got that same stubborn old man thing going on of like, I don't care that there's a hundred year war going on and I need, and the Avatar needs training. If you don't do things exactly my way because I feel like it, I'm not training you. Oh my god. I just, I don't think these old men get the urgency of this, of like, mm, 
this kid is trying to save you all. And I know, I know, we haven't, ex- we haven't explained the comet thing to these people. But still, this is the Avatar has appeared after 100 years. And you're like, if you could just wait in line. Thank you. What? What? Have you given up hope that much that things could change that it doesn't matter to you to train the Avatar? That's what upsets me. <laughs> Sorry. I think. I don't think you were expecting that rant. No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. I think Paku <laughs> really helped me this week understand a lot of your criticisms of Zhang Zhang. Thank you. Okay. Please explain. Well, because like you said, they are they do have very similar outlooks and approaches. And I think with Zhang Zhang, I find it less objectionable because he has that whole struggling with his past, you know, trying to be reformed, trying to look at this stereotypically very destructive element in a different light. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe a bit of regret and self-loathing built in around that and and probably some past trauma that he's working through. And I don't get any of that with Paku, so he just comes across like a jerk. (laughs) It's just, but also all of that, it's something my sister likes to say to me is what what I felt in those moments, which is that sounds like a you problem and not a me problem. My problem is the world is, you know, currently on fire and coming down in flames thanks to the Fire Nation. Your problem is how you feel about what you've done in your past. We need to pack that away for right now and deal with the fire at hand. Yes, and I understand that, but I think that's a lot easier (laughs) to say than it is to do in the moment when you're a human. Yeah, I guess that's Humans are messy and complicated and emotional. But I think also on top of it all, like, to put it quite bluntly, Zhang Zhang is in awe of Katara and Paku is a fucking misogynist. Oh my goodness. I am... And don't try to give me it's in my culture type of thing. I'm sorry, but the Avatar has... I'm really concerned that if... Aang had stuck to his guns and Katara had not given the head nod of you're allowed. If Aang had stuck to his guns and said, you know, I'm not learning unless Katara learns too, this dude straight up would have closed the doors on him and said, well, I guess I'm not teaching the Avatar. Teaching the Avatar is an honor you get. (laughs) Okay? Not, not, um, you know, oh, I have to do this. No, it is an honor you get, and I don't understand so far these these people. <laughs> How is it that, you know, at least the children can see that this is important? But I think I think in my rant earlier where I was like, "How much hope have you lost that you've given up on the idea that that this could change the balance of things?" You know? You've been set in your ways for so long. Yeah. That no change, not even one so big that could change the world, could change your world. Sometimes when everything is on fire, you need to make some compromises on what you consider core aspects of your culture for the good of everybody. I just... uh, mm, mm. Yeah. And I just... I, I... Especially when those core aspects of your culture refuse to accept 
the existence and individuality of others. Uh, for me, lovely little Katang moment of, of okay, what should I do? Like he looks to her mm-hmm. and says, "Okay, do I do I do this or do I not? What do you want me to do?" And she just gives the nod of like, "You can do it." Is okay. Do you think that's because he cares about her opinion, or do you think that's because he is afraid of pissing her off? <laughs> Because I got to say, I'm I'm sure he cares what she thinks, but I think a little bit, more than a little bit, he's kind of terrified of pissing off Katara. I think the bigger thing is he cares for her feelings. He wants her to feel okay, and he wants, he doesn't want to do something that's going to hurt her. He has physically hurt her in the past with his firebending, and he doesn't want to hurt her emotionally with his waterbending training. Yeah. You know, he doesn't want to leave behind the person who saved him and saves him all the time. Almost every week. So, yeah, he, he genuinely, I feel he genuinely respects and trusts her opinion and wants to respect what's going the situation that's going on it's like when you ha- it's like when you have friends that like don't that don't like each other or like you know someone's ex is going to be at the party and you run it by your friend first cuz cuz you don't want you don't want to upset that like I won't go if if you don't want me to like genuinely and you get their opinion and then you've sorted out from there One more new character that I kind of wanted to point out. I don't know why I wanted to point her out, but Yagoda. Yagoda. Yeah, she's the lady who teaches the healing lessons. Yeah, with the cool, like, it's not a sci-fi thing, but the way they animate the healing, it looks like, you know, that blue glow is very futuristic. Well, it it is, but the thing is, it's also, it's so it's an anatomical dummy. It's It's showing, like, veins. Those are veins, right? Yeah. Okay. I feel yeah. dumb. Because <laughs> you can see this, you can see the circulatory system um, that they're showing. It's pretty cool. I thought that was really cool to add an element of like science to this. Yeah, I was too busy going, ooh, pretty Tron glow. I didn't realize. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool, circulatory system. Yeah. It was really interesting to see that Yagoda is teaching mainly young girls. Like, these are children. Yeah, that she's that she's trading. Katara sticks out. P- people at Katara's level are already off doing their healing, so she she's at the either that or they sent her to like you know like first grade. Like they sent her, they don't know if she knows anything about it. Mm-hmm. It's only kind of by accident that she stumbled across healing in the first place. So if she hadn't been burnt, at least there was there was you know if she hadn't been burnt and discovered healing herself, she would have gone there and they would have said, oh, girls go learn the healing water bending," And she would have been like, healing water bending," And she would have learned that a bit more and put that in her skill bank anyways. But I like that she discovers it first because she gets her own kind of... I feel like sometimes when you teach something yourself, teach something to yourself first, you get your own unique style to it before you actually learn. And sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes that's a bad thing. Yeah. Because you can get some bad habits. But... Sometimes you learn things and you go into the lesson. They're like, wait, how did you do that? And it's because you didn't know that there was a limitation to it. You're just freewheeling. You're not bound by the preconceived notions of the lesson. Exactly. Exactly. 
I so. I do wish we had a moment of Yagoda or some other water tribe member, you know, acknowledging Katara, teaching herself healing, acknowledging the accomplishment that that is. If in fact mm-hmm. it is like we don't know, maybe to to Zhang Zhang, this was a great power. This was a great thing. It elevated her. I think he was jealous of it. That's why. Yeah, I mean, but, mainly Zhang Zhang was jealous. But in the context of the water tribe, like this is the thing they teach. All of the waterbending girls. Is this a great power? Like, we don't know. Is is it amazing of Katara to have taught herself? I, I think that's what we're supposed to kind of pick up is that she's kind of a phenom that she's learned this herself. Whereas, and you know, when you're looking at how they're learning, they're learning on this dummy and they're learning how things flow throughout the body. And you need to kind of it looks like you need to have that knowledge first before you can understand how to apply your waterbending to it to heal. So the fact that she skipped all of that right to this is where I need to get things to to heal and this is how I need to move parts of my body to to fix things. I and she even applies it later to someone else like she takes it and automatically applies it from what she did to herself to another person. I think that's where we're supposed to go wow, that is truly spectacular. That is natural talent. Yeah. I just, I, I kind of wish that that natural talent had been acknowledged mm, in the context I, of the I episode a little earlier than it was, because it is acknowledged later. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but, like, a, it's acknowledged later, but a different talent, a different skill is acknowledged later. Like, her healing is yeah. not really, like, yeah, that is not pointed we'll be, out. We'll... We'll build on her healing, too, which I think is really cool. Yeah. So she's taught this herself, but she's going to get a few little pickup lessons. And you go to his friends with Grand Grand, or was friends with Grand Grand. Grand Grand out there having this secret life. Right? So much more info dropped on Grand Grand coming from up north. Tying Sokka and Katara to the north. And really interesting that they talk about the carving of the necklace and how these carved necklaces are a symbol of betrothal. That a boy will carve a necklace for a girl for betrothal. Which then transitions into Sokka having carved something for Yue. A little bear. It's a fish. It looked so much more like a bear. (laughs) So we're learning one of, you know... Sokka's Sokka's artistic instincts are not as great. (laughs) No. Is this the first time that we really see him at his attempts at art? Uh, Have we seen this before? I would say at this point, after watching Sokka in a different light for 18 episodes, that we have seen several instances of him as an artist because every time he leads Team Avatar on the field of battle... (laughs) He does so in the most artful way. No, I mean, like, drawing, like, painting, like, this dude's trying to create. Oh, like, traditional art. Traditional art. Uh, I think this is the first time. (laughs) And we found this gaping hole in his knowledge. That's okay. And, yeah, no, it's, it's genuinely okay. But he's carved something, and you're like, oh, cute, how sweet. But, like, ding, 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 in the back of your head, we've just heard that a boy carving something for a girl, especially of marrying age, can mean other 
things. See, I thought you were going to take the whole necklace revelation in a different direction and highlight the fact that Aang is the one that retrieves the necklace from Zuko to give to Katara. Oh, yeah, no, I think I pointed that out in that episode. Yeah, but I thought you were going to bring it up again. He even pointed out that he was like, I made you a new one. Like, I was, I, I have been on top of this necklace thing. Okay, okay. <laughs> Just want to make sure. Very... I just want to make sure that your ship sees the light of day. Oh, thank you, thank you. But I, I just want to point out, like all these foreshadowing moments with Yue and Sokka, that Sokka just doesn't understand why this is not going so well. And yet, it's kind of going pretty well. And yet, it's kind of going pretty well. But he doesn't understand. There's something holding her back, and he doesn't see it yet. Yeah. 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 I'm just going to keep going back to this. I know I'm going more like chronological than we usually do. Yeah, it's throwing me off. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, this, th- I feel like this episode just really goes in such a, such a strong fashion. Do you want to go that, with it? Yeah, I want to roll with it. Okay. Cute animal alert. <laughs> I love doing that fresh every time. It's so unnecessary. <laughs> it's so unnecessary. But I think that's what I love about it. <laughs> it's the little things. It's the little things. And you know, one day I'm gonna be off or like it's it's gonna it's gonna be like slightly different. And people are gonna go, Wow, what happened? They really do record that fresh every time. They really do record that live. <laughs> so we have some new animals. We got new animals. I'm so excited about this. So we get koala otters. Adorable. Um, we get a buffalo yak. And we have the return of the iguana parrot. And then, of course, we have Momo and Appa. I want to make a nice little note on uh, Momo is that Momo understands sarcasm when Sokka's like, oh, yeah, why don't we all just hop on my back? Uh, but he doesn't understand water. So Momo understands sarcasm, but not the word water. Just want to clear the air on that before I dive into these awesome new cute animals. I personally love the buffalo yak. Like when that, when we, when we come through the canals and we see someone riding that thing, I was like, <gasps> I freaked out. We had to pause. I, Wanted to know more about it. But the koala otter. The koala otters are adorable. I will agree. It enjoys backstroking through the icy waters of the Northern Water Tribe. They're just so chill. Fun little reference to uh, trivia for Korra fans is that Bowen calls uh, his girlfriend Eska a koala otter as a pet name at one point during their relationship. Oh my God, does he? <laughs> yeah. My little koala otter. <laughs> She's nothing like a koala otter, though. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I just wanted to point it out, though. <laughs> um, but it is a combination of a koala and a sea otter. Koala otter. So much cuter than and, an otter penguin. Yeah. And then there is the buffalo yak, which I just think is so majestic. And I love the horns. And it is one of the main forms of transportation and um, and to carry supplies in the Northern Water Tribe. I would ride one into battle. 
Yeah, they were actually extensively used by armies of the Northern Water Tribe during a barbarian invasion. Hmm. Like these are like they have a history of being a part of their, you know, armies and everything. So I have a question for you. Yeah. Is there exactly one iguana parrot in this world? I don't know. I don't think so. But I think this one is distinct enough that when Zuko sees an iguana parrot just looking at him when there's suspicious noises that he's going to make the connection. It's the pirates. Okay. Because it's like, this is just a bird. I think, personally, I think it's unique enough that that particular one, like the coloring, the look... Um, that you would be able to make the connection. Got it. So who are you giving it to this week? I'm giving it to the Buffalo Yak. I am about this Buffalo Yak. I think it's so cool. It's functional. It is beautiful. Like the tufts of fur. Oh, I am about it. I was going to give it to the Koala Otter, but I think you've sold me on the Buffalo Yak. They're so cool. They're used in the military. They have their own cavalry. And um, they're, they're where Appa stays to rest. They stay with, uh, they're the, in the neighboring pen in the stables with Appa. So they get along well with him. They're muscular. Um, you know, bison, they're buffalo. They're useful. They're docile. I'm really about it. And uh, fun fact about me is... Anywhere I work, I keep a framed photo of a yak on my desk um, just to see if anyone's paying attention at work. And so yaks have a special place in my heart. It's been too long since I've told you you're weird. Yeah, I know. I know. But I respect it. Thank you. Thank you. I had a desk mate who kept pictures of like her and her boyfriend and her and her parents. Like she had family pictures and I was like, I don't want to bring anything too personal into work, but she gave me a, f- a, f- a photo frame so I could put it on my side of the desk. So I printed out a picture of a yak and I put it in there. It's a beautiful yak. I've named him Patrick. I gotta say, a brooding Zuko looks real good. I don't know why, but like I really dig in his outfit and the look that he's got going on there. He wears so many outfits throughout this whole series. Have you noticed that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's a fashionable man. He's a fashionista. Yeah. This is the look, though, and I I like it. I just I just love his relationship with Iroh so much. And Iroh is just so, so, so supportive. Like how many times has has Iroh asked him to play the Sungi horn for his band? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I read a theory, I think on Tumblr, that was like, how good a Sungi horn player is Zuko? <laughs> and like, it was a deep dive. I'll try to find it for this show. It was a deep dive into all of the evidence that Zuko is just this amazing Sungi horn player <laughs> who does not enjoy playing the Sungi horn. I bet Iroh taught him the Sungi horn as a way to teach breath control. But it was totally just for his band. But he told him it was for breath control. <laughs> they just needed a Sungi horn player to round out the ensemble. Yes, but it's included in the basics that that Uncle Iroh just won't let him move past. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can we also point out though that Iroh is asking Zuko to play the Sungi horn 
which is the instrument that the Blue Spirit theme plays on. <gasps> Iroh is literally pulling Zuko <gasps> back into his alter ego. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. You know, there was something nagging me about the Sungi Horn, and I was like, when's the last time we talked about the Sungi Horn? And Blue you just Spirit. brought it up. Blue Spirit. Oh, my God. And then that's when Zhao comes in to talk to Zuko and gets this flashback of the blue spirit when he sees the broadswords on the wall. Mm-hmm. Like, how certain do you think Zhao is that Zuko is the blue spirit? I think Zhao feels like he has it figured out. Yeah? Yeah. I feel like Zuko plays it really cool when he's like, oh, no, those are a decoration. He does. Because he could have said he was skilled in the broadsword. Like, he very easily could have said that. of like, Oh, yeah, it was part of my training and stuff like that. And and played it off, but I thought I thought he did a really good job there. <laughs> yeah, and I I think I think Zhao is intended to be competent enough in this scene that he like he has it figured out. One of the few scenes where he's competent. <laughs> he's generally pretty good at reading his opponent pretty consistently. Uh, I don't know. Aang setting Aang and getting him to set all those boats on fire. Right, but that was I don't think that was Zhao being bad at reading Aang. I think that was Aang being good at reading and understanding Zhao. Okay. Alright. Okay. Zhao has thus far maintained a pretty strong grasp on more more or less how to make things go roughly the way he wants. So let's keep on Zuko and Iroh then for right now. Okay. I want to keep on yeah. this storyline. Um we then have the introduction of the pirates and the pirates are going to do a bad thing and the pirates blow up the ship. So, at what point do you th- and then it's revealed ho 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 Zuko has survived the blowing up of the ship. Iroh has lied to Zhao saying he agrees to join him. And Zuko has snuck on as a uh, fire Fire Nation soldier with the little mask thing. At what point do you think this plan was set into motion? I think, I think that Zuko made it out of the fire, the the river, wherever he was after the blast. Mm-hmm. I think he made it out shortly after Iroh got there, and they hatched the plan pretty quickly. Okay. I think it all happened that night. I have a feeling because Zhao comes on and takes the whole crew, even the cook, everything. So all their resources are gone with Zhao. I have a feeling that before the ship was even blown up, Zuko was trying to think, how do I get on that ship? I don't know. I think, I think the blowing up was a perfect opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ira already had an invitation, but I think he was trying to think, how do I get there with none of my resources? And I think Zhao handed him away. Didn't mean to, but handed him away to get there. I mean, he did hand him away to get there. Yeah. But I don't yeah. I don't know if Zuko was looking for that way, you know, in that scene where he's lying on his bed moping. No. No. I think I think he's I think lying on his bed moping is him trying to go, all right. What do I do now? I need to get there. I need to get there. Well, maybe I, I think I think maybe the idea like crossing his head of like, maybe I get on that ship. 
But how am I going to get on that ship? Because he's going to be looking for me and he's going to be looking for the blue spirit. He's mentioned both already that he doesn't like either of us. So both my personas are out. (laughs) Yeah. And I think looking at the iguana parrot and then, you know, surviving that wreck gives him, pardon the pun, gives him the spark to say, what if I just go with him? He won't know it. And Iroh gets to keep the same cook. So when do you think, when do you think that Iroh was let in on the plan? Um, I think Zuko had the plan when he landed in the water. I think Iroh was let in on the plan when Zuko climbed out of the water. <laughs> so you think they discussed the plan that, that night as night. well? Okay. Yeah. Because I, I wanted to know what your feel was about whether or not Iroh was playing Zhao. Oh, very much so. I, I agree. Very much so. I He played me the first time I watched it. Yeah, same. I totally thought, like, this man has lost the one purse because I didn't, you know, I thought that Zuko was maybe not dead, but, like, sidelined for the rest of the season. And I thought that Iroh definitely thought that Zuko was gone. And now he's a man who, like, his purpose, his reason for existing at this point has been taken from him he's beaten he's broken yeah so he's gonna do the only thing left to do which is join up with Zhao. yeah yeah no he had me he had me played a little i was but i mean <sighs> there was that inkling of me of like why though you seem like a nice guy why like you don't like him and this wasn't necessarily your mission it was zuko's mission so why and, it, and that's what I had in the back of, like, the first time watching, I was like, I was like, no, but why? No. And then the why was answered, of course. Yeah. I think my first time it was more, yeah, you seem like a nice guy. Yeah, you seem better than the most. But, like, at this point, we don't know Iroh's whole backstory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't know what his, you know, true relationship is with the Fire Nation mm-hmm. at large. So, you know, I think it's reasonable to believe at this point in the show that he might earnestly go back to yeah. leading an army, an invasion force, being a conqueror. Yeah, he might. But that's not the case. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to help his nephew like he always does. To the battle at the end. Battle at the end. The battle at the end, Katara versus the patriarchy. That is that is the battle, isn't it? <laughs> that is the battle. <laughs> oh my god, when she challenges him to a duel and the whole ice underneath her cracks just like she cracked the iceberg open when she was also mad at the patriarchy. Katara really knows how to break the ice. <sighs> she does. She does. Um I, she starts this battle with the water whip. After she runs wide. Yeah. Or no, I guess the water whip is first. And that's, No, the water whip is first. Yeah, that's like the instant. See, I don't, think of, I don't think of the water whip as like part of the battle. Mm-hmm. I think of it as like, you know, she's like spitting in his face. And then they Oh fight. no, that was, that was her initiation. That was, all right, here we go. Like, <laughs> get into it. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, she starts with the water whip. Starts with the water whip. And then she is just 
so nimble. And I see that, like, I see that her, her learning from Aang and his airbender tactics to avoid and move around things rather than go through things. To come at him from an angle he doesn't expect. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, she even like, she does a somersault in the air and lands like she is, but she has been, she's comfortable in the air. She spent a lot of time in it, both on Appa and on a glider. Yeah. She's not afraid of falling. Honestly, there is no fear behind those eyes. There is just rage. There is just rage. I think Katara's fury (laughs) might be more powerful than the Avatar state. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just, there's this really strong moment where um, she says, you're not knocking me down. And like she, when he goes to attack with a bunch of water to push her over and she grounds herself and makes the ice cover up her feet. And it made me think that she was thinking like a mad genius and stealing a little bit of how Boomy worked. Because Boomy would um, use the earth and grab it around his grab it around his feet, and he even did that with the growing crystals, like that she was stuck. And so, it was really cool to see her kind of use an earthbender tactic. Yeah, that was really like I really enjoyed that. But also, also, and you know I'm going to bring this up because you mentioned it first. <laughs> She grounds herself. Could you say she's rooted? Yes. She has that strong stance. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Iroh approves. Iroh approves. Yeah, I mean, this is her culmination of everything she has learned from the Southern Water Tribe all the way up to the North Pole. This is everything she's learned. And you see little bits and pieces of all the tactics she's used. You even see... Just her, like, the stop and moment on her breath of just, like, collecting herself and then moving in for the kill. Because she is fighting to with the water discs, to, the ice discs, going right for the kill. Have we seen those before? Those are new, right? Those are new. Like, did she invent that move? She has had no formal training. And this... This is all just her imagination right now. But I think she's seen something similar with earthbending. And now she's on a tundra where the earth is actually her element. So she has the wisdom of looking to different elements and styles of bending to incorporate into her own. Exactly. I feel it's very earthbending. And she it almost seems as if she's a little bit more comfortable in tackling the, the snow structures than Paku is at the moment. Like he he's pulling from different sources of water to um, freeze at her or throw at her. But she's the one using the snow structures as well and using the tundra underneath her feet to um, to fight. And I think what's so interesting is if she's not, even if she's not going for the kill, she expects to be treated as if she is going to. If he is as good of a waterbender as he believes he is and he says he is, he should easily be able to deflect something that would go for the kill. It shouldn't kill him if he's that good. And it's just, it's that little bead of spite. And he feels it. He has that, <laughs> that moment where that, it's like the second or third snow disc goes past him and he, you can see his reflection in it and he is 
terrified. He didn't realize how big the stakes were. For her, this is life and death. She has been living life and death her whole life because the Southern Water Tribe, all those waterbenders were eliminated. And since she has been on the road with the Avatar, she has constantly been attacked and captured and threatened. She spent her, like, her whole time up to here has been life or death. And he's living this cushy life and he does not understand the urgency. And she's fed up and she's going to show him how urgent it is right now. I love it. It's everything I would have wanted to do. <laughs> I felt myself in this Katara moment. I like, I, I remember the first time I watched this and feeling it. And what was so cool the first time I watched this battle because I remember it distinctly, is, and because I do it every time I watch this, is when they're talking about, you know, like, oh, women can't can't learn this. You know, she's just a girl. We're not doing that. She's, she's not good enough. All this stuff. I feel myself, and I felt myself the first time, and I feel myself every time just being like, say something, you know? And they're like, they're like, and we want her to apologize. She has to apologize because she was learning this behind our backs. And I'm like, no, don't apologize. Stand your ground, do it. And the fact that she does, because there are so many other shows where she wouldn't have, where they just, you know, it would have been, you know, some kind of lesson and we all would have come together and compromised. No, she just bursts out with, no, you're the worst. You're a jerk. You're awful. All of this is awful. And I'm going to fight it. I'm just going to fight the whole system. And it just, it was really cool to feel what I had as a young girl and what I have as a woman myself, what I had bubbling within me, see it bubble over in her and come out. I just think that's really cool. And that you don't always have to sit there and you know, make the apologies to the people in power who you've upset. That sometimes, no, stand your ground. Stand by what you did. Sounds like an incredibly cathartic experience. It's beautiful. It's, and you don't, you don't get many of, sometimes you don't get many of those moments in real life or enough of those moments. And especially when you're, you know, like an 11-year-old girl, you may not get many people who support you standing up for that. You might get a lot of people saying, no, you are the child here. And, you know, they, they're doing some very important things. And there's a reason why things are this way. And to go with it, you may get a lot of people in your life just saying, make the apology, don't make waves. But here is this show saying that, you know, with everyone, with the chief, with the king, Asking her to apologize, saying you should apologize and don't make waves. And even Aang being like, okay, you know, she's, she'll apologize. That she stands her ground and she fights to the very end against it. Even when no one else believes in her. And that's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful lesson to teach. That sometimes there is something so wrong that no, you have to stand up. You have to say something. That moment is just so beautiful. It's why, it's why this... That whole battle is why this is a rewatch must for me. It is so monumental for Katara to take everything she has learned in her life and every no she has ever heard and to take it out on this one 
old man who does not know who he's dealing with. And she changes the world. Yeah. Yeah. She even, she doesn't, she doesn't win. She doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't stop him. She doesn't put him on his butt. She gets, she is, she will keep fighting. Even she would have found a way in that, given enough time in that like ice cage, which is actually very much a reference to like House of Flying Daggers. <laughs> um, really? Yeah. Where is it? Hold on on the trivia. Yeah. According to the DVD commentary for this episode, Master Paku's waterbending trick of trapping Katara in a cage of icicles was inspired by a scene from House of Flying Daggers. Which is probably why that whole, like, ice disc flying by was another moment. Yeah. But, uh, really cool. Well, yeah, she totally would have found a way out and found a way to keep fighting. She would have found a way. Yeah. She she was even just, she was just, like, spouting things off. Like, uh, so, uh, in all of this hustle and bustle, her necklace falls off. Really, we need to get a better strap for this thing. Um, <laughs> it keeps falling off. It keeps falling off. Let's reinforce that with a clasp it is, or something. It is 60 years old. As we learn, because we learn that Paku made it for her grandmother. And can I just say, saying how Katara never stops fighting. Katara has never talked to Grand Grand about Paku or about any of this. She didn't even know she came from the Northern Water Tribe. But Katara just starts this whole story to Paku about how she left because she didn't like the way things were going on here in this patriarchal bullcrap. <laughs> like, she just puts everything she's feeling into you know, what she believes Grand Grand is feeling. Because I, I had forgotten that she didn't know before, prior to you go to talking to her that Grand Graham was from the Northern Water Tribe. And she's never, and there are no phones. There is no Zoom. She can't get a hold of Grand Grand and say, hey, Grand Grand, you remember the Northern Water Tribe? Anything familiar about it? Anything I should know? She doesn't have the ability to have that information. So everything that she says at Paku there, she's just inferring or just straight up coming up with she's just trying to hurt him she can no longer hurt him physically so she's gonna wound him emotionally and i just respect that like hats off to Katara for that of i'm gonna just keep going you can't stop me yeah yeah i'm just gonna let you keep ranting i can't stop you <laughs> and there's there's this great moment. And now, with this big reveal that Paku was the suitor for Grand Grand, shocker. Um, we also get this moment of when they're talking about that, they just shoot back to Yue real quick. And Yue has tears in her eyes because as they're talking about, because this whole thing has been observed by everyone. Uh, it was a big spectacle. But... She has tears in her eyes when they're talking about arranged marriages. And Katara's like, yeah, Grand Grand was, had an arranged marriage with you and she did not want it. So she went to the other side of the world, which, again, just hurtful. Uh, and we don't know that's fact. And we just take a quick glance to Yue and there's another hint. S here we go. Something is holding her back. 
Oh no, might it be? And then she reveals to Sokka she has an arranged marriage. She reveals the necklace she has been hiding with her spectacular furred cuff. I'm not a fan of that necklace. I'm not a fan of what it represents. I'm not a fan of how it looks. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not my favorite piece of fashion. No. But we now see what has been holding her back. And like it now makes sense of why she would cry at the carving that he gave her and why she would tear up just hearing about arranged marriages and, you know, the hint of she's ready for marriage. This is happening sooner. That timeline has now gone into effect. But we now get Sokka's first kiss. It's so sweet. So sweet. And I like how he's just like, I'm confused. I'm happy, (laughs) but I'm confused. Because, you know, I get that. Sokka's a mood. (laughs) Yep. It's a confusing time. And besides the necklace being in between, uh, getting in between Sokka and Yue's relationship... In this scene where Yue is saying she can't be with Sokka and she can't see him anymore, and she's on the left and Sokka's on the right, right in between them is the moon and it's waning. Ow. It's 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 fading away. That hurts. Yeah. And then when she goes in for the kiss, she is now blocking the moon and he is now to the side of the moon. She t- replaces where the moon is in that in that setting so just more more moon symbolism and more just hints of what's to come and i feel like i should have seen some of this earlier but i didn't when i first watched these things i feel like at first watch it's a lot to ask to see all this stuff yeah i mean i i just experienced my second watch and i only saw about half of it (laughs) but i will say you've seen this how many times yeah, and even now I'm still catching a it's, it's understandable that you're going to catch more as time goes on, but especially now that like you're looking for more stuff than normal because you're looking for things for us to talk about. <laughs> but yeah, knowing you and knowing your love for these two characters and knowing your love for visual symbolism, I'm surprised <laughs> that you did not pick this one up until this time. It's, I, yeah, it's just really cool to see how far ahead they were thinking, how they knew where these character arcs were going and how they left us little kernels here and there to follow. And to reward us for noticing when we go back and rewatch it. Exactly. Exactly. We get this release of information and we are just, all right, where do we start the next day? And Katara shows up to waterbending training. And so my question is, did Paco change the rules just for her? Or is this a world change? Paco did not change the rules. Katara changed the rules. So my concern is that at this lesson, first of all, we only see Katara as we see Katara as the only only girl there. So my concern here is that Paku changed his ways just for her because she is related to the woman that he liked. That if if it if he was not able to make that connection of oh she's she's Kana's granddaughter that 
he would not have respected her. It's only it's like it's like trying to say, you know, respect women. And but you have to say you have daughters and you're like, yes, my daughter is a like my daughter is a woman or you have a wife. My wife is a woman like not being able to relate to an issue unless you personally are invested. Yes, I share that concern. And that would be bad. And it's also bad to say that, like, well, you know, like, I could very easily make the argument. It is a wrong argument to make that, well, you know, he changed the rules for her. And then, you know, other people change the rules later. And, like, it's change. Change is slow when a prize. Like, no, it doesn't have to be. It could, they, they could snap their fingers and change the situation. I just want to point out, we don't know. Yeah, and we don't know. We don't know whether this is change for everyone or whether this is, eh, she's the Avatar's companion. He wants her there. She's going to find a way to learn anyways. I I would hope, given the way a lot of other issues are presented in the show, that if we spent more time at the Northern Water Tribe than we do, that we would see that they pretty quickly changed everything. I would hope that the battle alone would say, I have underestimated this girl and maybe I am underestimating women as a whole in regards to their ability to fight and their uh, aptitude for fighting and whether they want to fight. Because maybe some girls want to fight. Maybe we should give them the option. Maybe we should give guys the option to heal. Like, let's think a little bit broader of the spectrum besides just, you know, do women want to fight? Do men want to learn how to heal? That might be pretty cool. Pretty handy. I do think regardless of whatever change that admittedly we don't know may or may not have happened in the mind of Paku. Enough people were party to the battle and were witness to the battle that this society has changed. Yes, I think especially because you see the crowd turn on Paku. You see like children start cheering for Katara. Yeah, and... Haku might be set in his ways and just making an exception to his ways for Katara. That would be bad. It might be the case. We don't know. But if that is true, it doesn't matter because the society is changed. Yes. Yes. We've now seen it. Thank you for listening to The Pie Show. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find our show notes at thepieshow.fm slash 18. If you'd like to reach us, you can send us a tweet at The Pie Show or email us at thepieshowpodcast at gmail.com. Get excited. We're at the end of season one. Now, like uh, I think Colton and I mentioned this previously, but we will be doing one big recording session for the finale. Not sure if it's going to come out as one mega episode or... A couple smaller episodes. Uh, we'll have to see how it goes and make a decision. Have to see how it goes. If you have any strong feelings about this, let us let know. Us know. <laughs> <laughs> but just be prepared that after this episode, you're in for like a whammy of wonderful waterbending watching. I was trying to keep with the alliteration. That is. I- <laughs> It got a little strained at the end there, but I think you did I know. I almost said wisdom, but I didn't think that would fit. And I also thought that was a little self-important. A little bit. A little bit. I mean, we we get fairly self-important from time to time. (laughs) But. Because I am, Colton. You are so important, (laughs) Kelly. You are important. You are kind. (laughs) But yeah, so we'll do a. 
great big finale extravaganza, possibly release it as one, who knows, and then our book one retrospective. I'm really looking forward to the retrospective. That's going to be so much fun. And again, Colton, prepare your season one rewatch essentials. Don't don't remind me. Don't tell me. Don't bring it up. Let me just <laughs> let me just procrastinate until like an hour before <laughs> I need to sit down and do the recording with you and then crap it out. <laughs> I'm not letting you cheat. I'm not letting you look at mine. You know, I think I could just go back to earlier recordings and figure out yours. <laughs> Check it off. Yeah. I think you mentioned enough. And no, the Great Divide is not on there. <laughs> I wouldn't expect it from you. And then, dun, 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 the incoming invasion. We've got everybody training, but they don't know that they're training for an invasion. Yeah. Can't believe we're at the invasion already. That's what they call dramatic irony. 